Welcome to the Manifestation Bay podcast. My name is Katherine Zinkina, and I'm a manifestation expert, master mindset coach, and multiple seven-figure entrepreneur. I'm obsessed with helping you achieve everything that you once thought was impossible. If you're looking to massively up-level your life, your finances, your relationships, your productivity and success, then you have come to the right place. My goal in this podcast is to help you see the infinite potential within yourself to be, do, and have anything that your heart desires. Think of this podcast as your weekly dose of mindset development to help you maximize who you are and where you're going. Leave it to me to provide you with the tools, the resources, the strategies, and teachings that you need to manifest a reality wilder than your wildest dreams. I know we're about to have so much fun together, so thank you so much for pushing play today, and now let's begin. If you've been wanting to master the art of manifesting money and cultivate a lighter, more enjoyable, more feminine, and dare I say, pleasurable approach to creating more money in your life, look no further because Sovereign Money is about to relaunch in just a couple of days. In fact, it opens up on Monday, May 20th, which is literally just around the corner. And this launch, I am doing something that I've never done before for everyone who gets on the wait list. I am giving you $100 off of your enrollment into Sovereign Money, and I'm opening the doors one day early with that $100 off special. This is only available to those who get on the wait list before Sunday the 19th, and it will expire once we launch to the public on May 20th. Don't wait. You can get on the wait list right now by going to manifestationbabe.com slash SM. That's S as in sovereign, M as in money. Again, that's manifestationbabe.com slash SM for that $100 off of your enrollment into sovereign money. Hello, my beautiful souls, and welcome back to another episode of the Manifestation Babe podcast. If you've been following me lately, you know that I've been diving into this new modality called rapid resolution therapy. It's kind of like NLP and hypnotherapy, but honestly, so much more effective and kind of on steroids, I would say. That's that's my best description of it <laughs> before you dive into it. Um, I see rapid resolution therapy as a way to quickly painlessly and easily shift the way your mind processes information and releases things that don't belong there. Doesn't that sound amazing? So all of the glitches that don't belong in your unconscious mind are removed and then you are free and clear to heal, be creative, stay cool, calm and collected and feel light and free. And that's exactly what I've experienced. I recently had two back-to-back one-on-one sessions. I'll call it the one-on-one session experience with the founder of Rapid Resolution Therapy. And whatever issues I brought to him, like there were three of them. So one I brought to him on one day and then two of them we handled on the second day. He cleared for me those issues in just that one single session. So issue number one, gone, one session. Issue number two and three, gone, the second session. And not only was I mind blown, but I also sent my mom, my CEO, Alonda, and my husband, Brennan, all of them to Dr. John Connolly. And they have reported that it was the most 
mind-blowing shit they've ever experienced in their life. So we decided as a family to adopt Dr. Connolly and put him in our pockets. And we even said, you know, once we officially move into our new home and we have a guest bedroom, finally, he is flying out and staying over with us for Christmas, Thanksgiving, all the holidays. (laughs) because we just love them so much. And RRT, which is rapid resolution therapy for short, is currently something that I am learning more about as fast as I possibly can as a mom. Uh, there's like, I, as soon as I get our part-time nanny in the mix, like I'll finally have more time to sit down because it's just so juicy and it's so time intensive right now because the certification is probably a year long just based on the pace I'm going at it. But once I'm certified, I'm putting this shit in MBA. And let me tell you, if you've done MBA, you have, you ain't seen nothing yet. Okay. I'm about to spice it up. And if you are planning on signing up for MBA in 2023, as soon as I spice it up, well, first of all, MBA is amazing as it is right now. But once I spice it up with RRT, it's like game fucking over. And if you're new to me and the Manifestation Way podcast and you're like, what is MBA? Is that a business degree? No. MBA in our world is Manifestation Babe Academy and it's my signature manifestation program. So all in one, everything you could ever want to know about manifestation, how to apply it in your life so that you can manifest literally all your dreams and goals. You're going to learn all of that inside of MBA. So in this episode today, I thought who better to interview than the founder himself, Dr. John Connolly. So if you've never heard about Dr. John Connolly before, here's a little bio behind him. So author of Life-Changing Conversations with Rapid Resolution Therapy and his new book, Grief is Not Sacred, Dr. John Connolly has dedicated his life to the healing of others and sharing his knowledge and skill through professional training and events. His early career experiences as a child protective service worker and clinical supervisor in a program for traumatized teens help shape the creation of rapid resolution therapy. RRT has evolved into a highly effective and painless approach as a standalone therapy and is backed by hundreds of testimonials from clients and practitioners. Rapid resolution therapy is utilized in addressing many issues such as PTSD, sexual trauma, addiction, heartbreak, anxiety, panic disorder, phobias, and more with lasting results. And I can so vouch for that. Um, As RRT gained momentum, a training institute was founded, which is now a thriving global community and a source of networking, collaboration, and supervision for its members. John Connolly also founded the Institute for Survivors of Sexual Violence, a nonprofit 501c3 organization engaged in the research and development of cutting-edge treatment for sexual trauma survivors. John is licensed as a clinical social worker and holds a doctorate in clinical pastoral pastoral counseling. Okay. Without further ado, I feel like this intro is long enough. Let's dive into the interview. All right. I got Dr. John Connolly, the founder of Rapid Resolution Therapy in the house. John, how are you doing today? Oh, it's great to be with you, Catherine. I am so excited to have you. You have tremendously impacted not just my life, but my whole family's life, my team's life, my friends' lives, like they've all done sessions with you. They've done your courses, um, the fundamentals to rapid resolution therapy, and they have received tremendous results. So I'm really excited to dive deep into what rapid resolution therapy is and 
how it works. Like, how is it so effective that a person can sit with you or someone else who's certified in RRT and completely eliminate an issue in just one session? That is mind blowing. I think I might want to put some light on that by by differentiating what I'm teaching people to do from what is being done within the mental health industry. Please. That was my first question. That's number one question is how is this different from this? Like a lot of people are asking, um, you know, how is this different, first of all, from, you know, traditional talk therapy, number one, because that's mainstream psychology. But number two is like, how is this different from NLP, hypnotherapy, somatic releasing and other trauma release methods? So a lot of people want to know what makes RRT different. Um, So when um, someone approaches somebody in the mental health industry, that person is generally trained to <clears throat> approach the meeting with certain ideas about information that they want to obtain. I I remember I I attended a training program that a uh, a social work university was was holding for the people who were the clinical supervisors of the people they were training. And I remember this comment. So they had the head of the whole thing up on a stage. They had hundreds of people in the room. And she said, the most important thing to remember is to make sure the people you supervise know that it's not only important to pay close attention to what isn't being said, but we need to pay even closer attention to what is underneath what people aren't saying. Mm. And I thought I was in some asylum. <laughs> and I looked around to find, you know, other shocked faces and instead uh, there was nods and applause um so I, I realized then that that's what's going on people are often really learning to pay attention to what people aren't saying which yeah. means to kind of make sure you don't get distracted by what somebody is talking about. And then I remembered one of the things that I learned in, um, in, in studying to become part of that industry. And that was something that um, they, they really encouraged the placements the students were going to, to learn and do. And it was called a psychosocial, um, a psychosocial. Um, and, and they had many, many, many questions that were all written out on a piece of paper. And then the, the questions were all written out, I guess, so that the student wouldn't be distracted by what people were saying, um, and, and forget about the questions to ask. So as you and I are talking together, 
I bet you don't have a list of 14 questions to ask me no matter what I say. <laughs> um, I bet you didn't come to this thinking, I got to make sure I don't get distracted by anything he talks about and can keep my eye on what I need to find out that has nothing to do with what he thinks is pertinent. Mm -hmm. So one, one significant difference is we really want to know what the individual we're meeting with thinks we ought to know in order to be of, um, of significant value. Another big difference is that um, people who are training in this process that I'm teaching realize that getting people better is their responsibility. That yeah, that's means, a big difference. It's a huge difference. I, I'm still waiting after many, many years of doing it to meet the first person who is part of the mental health industry that shares with me that sometimes people don't get better because they lack the skill to get them better. Mm -hmm. It's always on the client. The client is resistant. The client's not taking not responsibility. Change, yeah. All the things you're mentioning, all of those. So always. Um, if I meet with somebody and I can't find a way in to make a difference, I know that that means I lacked the skill and there's more skill for me to acquire. And people who um, are, are training with me call me and call each other and may say something like, I met with somebody and this was what was going on. And I was looking to accomplish something valuable, but I lacked the skill. Um, uh, would you be able to, to take care of this person for me? And where do I go to learn so that I can have the skill? So when somebody training with me says, I lack the skill, that doesn't mean they feel miserable. Right. It just means that they recognize they didn't get that job done and they're motivated to get um, better at it. And they're looking for then who um, who within this community uh, may have that uh, may have that skill. So that's one one big difference. Um, I um, I'm much more directive, probably, than most people. Um, and uh, uh, just the other day, I, I was talking to um, this gal, um, probably somebody you referred, um, <laughs> and 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 very bright and very assertive and and a deep thinker, and um, she found many things interesting and would say, "Well, what about this? And what about that?" And I I I would. I wasn't doing what normally happens, which is being responsive to her. I, I, I was just saying, well, you know, if that's interesting to you, ask me maybe at some other time when we're done. Mm -hmm. um, and, and I thought, well, this is probably offensive. Um, um, and, and, and I didn't want to be offensive. So what, what I did is I said, 
I bet it seems like I'm pretty controlling here. <laughs> and and she she didn't want to say you bet, but but <laughs> but, but there was certainly a nod. Uh, and I said, well, I am because it's my job to get you better. Mm-hmm. And if I don't get you better, then I screwed it up. So since it's my job to get this done, I do have to be in charge of what happens here. Because at the end of the day, if you're not feeling great, it's not that you didn't do it right. It's that I didn't. Yeah. And your and intention is to I, get get yeah. people better in one session. So do you ever feel like an immense amount of pressure when it comes to that? Um the process is that we have um, uh, work, so no. Um, okay. I, 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 now, that doesn't mean that everything that somebody might want to improve is, is immediately all finished, but I certainly like to get something done that somebody feels was significant and causes some immediate um, relief um, and get it done um, right away, get it done in a, in, in, in a meeting. I, I myself began seeing people for, um, for whatever it is, psychotherapy, because I, I, I thought I don't want to be the only massage therapist on the block that never got a massage so <laughs> good point I, I started doing that and i i didn't understand how what we were doing was going to get me better mm-hmm. can you share and some specifics this is kind of um um, how does what's going on for you here relate to something that went on for you earlier? How does the earlier thing relate to something that went on before that? Um, uh, well, this means that you are a this mm-hmm. and have a that. So uh, another thing that happens when is people who meet with people in mental health profession are more often than not given a diagnosis and the diagnosis is saying this is what you are you are a this but you also have a that Mm -hmm. um i remember you telling me in, in my session that like some of the things that i was revealing you're like if this was a typical mental health setting you would have already been given a couple labels and diagnoses um yeah which which is then um it, uh, uh, brought into the mind as if it's as if it's who you are and then we can learn how you got so screwed up and then perhaps over time how to cope with being so screwed up yeah um, but we're we're looking through a different lens so the way that the, the way that i understand things is that um, as our human mind became much more advanced than any other life form, zebras can't build London. Uh, Our mind became (laughs) so much more advanced. 
Um, and yet, our mind's primary, I believe, objective, the primary purpose behind everything is survive. And secondly, perhaps thrive. But of the two, survive is a much bigger priority. In order to cause survival, mind has to make things happen. And I think about those things as as divided into two categories. One is um, internal. So in order for us to be having this conversation, your mind, meaning unconscious, has to cause things like circulation, respiration, digestion to be taking place. Um, then, as our human mind became more and more advanced, as you were learning algebra, you couldn't say, well, I'm too busy to do circulation. Yeah. So that had to continue. And I think what happened is a, a more advanced component got kind of built on top of the more primitive component who's doing all of that really essential stuff to keep you to keep you alive. Um, but these two components haven't integrated together. Um, if you speak to people, you'll find that most of the bright people you know, if you use a word like conscious, unconscious, will have heard of those concepts before and probably utilize them. Mm -hmm. However, I find that there are other words, Catherine, that people much more frequently use to refer to that. And the word that they use to refer to the more advanced component of mind where you have access to logic is the word I. And that's the component people identify with. And then everything else they call self. And hence, you'll frequently hear people say things like, I need to find a way to calm myself down so that I can get myself motivated. And then maybe I could get myself started. And then if I could figure out how to keep myself going, I'd, I'd be okay. I don't think any other life form ever has those thoughts. I hear those all the fucking time with my students, clients, people on the internet. I'm sabotaging myself. All the time. Yeah. But, but imagine there's this crow and he's on the branch and he looks at another branch. He says, I'd right, be better for me to be over there. But I got to find a way to get myself motivated so I can get <laughs> myself started. And then yeah. I certainly need to get all the way over there. So I better figure out how to keep myself going until I get to where I'm going to be. I don't think it even ever occurs. Um, if you say to um, a goat, um, don't you think it would be good to calm yourself down? She's probably going <laughs> to say, uh, Catherine, who is this thing you're calling myself? And how is she different from me? Um, so true. But humans are experiencing that all the time. Uh, I think that these two components of mind, I and self, see the world very differently and don't know what the heck to make of each other. And I believe, Catherine, that if you get um, a, a thousand people in an auditorium 
and you give them this sentence and you say, just complete the sentence, write it down, pass it in. And if you get it right, you win a prize. And you say, here we go. And here's the sentence. Everybody knows that we are our own worst. And I bet you everybody gets the prize and writes down enemy. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And when you say that, and you know that immediately, that doesn't make me happy to hear. Because if that's a comment that we nod yes to, that, that that's a monstrous idea. The worst thing in the entire world is about to get into your house. Uh-oh, it's coming into the room you're in. Oh, no, it's standing right behind you. Uh-oh, it jumped inside you. And now it's controlling your heartbeat, your breath, and your bowels. So watch out. <laughs> uh, um, the worst thing, my worst enemy, is within me and has me. Um, but what what I found is it can seem like the worst enemy if it doesn't do what you want. Right. Um, so, you know, if, if, if I'm sitting right next to you, we're sharing a workspace and you say, would you mind like not popping the bubble gum as much? It gets me a little distracted. And I pop the gum again in your face. And we keep doing this for a few days. And you say, really, it's really getting to me. I mean, come on, anything? Uh, Pop, pop, pop. And somebody says, hey, how do you like sharing space with John? You say, it's the worst thing ever. He's so disrespectful. I ask him one thing. He, He doesn't even pay attention. Although I think every time I ask him not to do it, he does it more. Um, people are having that experience within themselves. And I think it's because this amazing and complex instrument didn't come with an owner's manual. Mm-hmm. It came with the expectation that you would know how to use it well. Right. Um, and um, what, what, what havoc that, um, that creates. Um, Go go ahead. Tell me where yeah. where, where I'm making sense or not. Is is rapid resolution therapy then getting the conscious and the unconscious mind to better communicate? Is that how you would see it? I would see it this way. I'll meet with you. I'll get what is concerning. Let's say you say, I'm experiencing emotions that don't serve me. Mm-hmm. Well, what do you mean? Well, I I like, I know in my business that it's a good idea for me to meet people and develop connection with them. Mm-hmm. I, I agree. Except when I think of meeting somebody, I end up feeling terrified. And then if I even try to push through it, it, it just shows my all this tension and people are uncomfortable when I try to make connection with them because I'm so damned uncomfortable. So if that's the case, if that's what somebody says coming in, a ton of people say that. Mm-hmm. If that's what they say. Then I think what my job is to cause it to be different. 
So it's not my job to teach you how to talk to yourself, although I'll be doing that. Mm-hmm. And, and and you'll get that, but most immediately, um, fix it. Just fix it. So that as you meet people, you find it enjoyable. And you find uh, learning about them interesting. Mm-hmm. And then they notice that you seem to be feeling good meeting them. And then I feel like, wow, this girl is meeting me. And it seems to make her happy. What a cool gal she is. I like that, that she's happy meeting me. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so what would be my job if you said that to me would be to fix it? And to um, it, it's, it's not about having you write a graph of your thoughts or or speculating as to what might have happened at an earlier time that would have caused it. It's like really getting in to your mind at the deepest level and making an adjustment so that you experience things differently, so that that fear is no longer there. Can you share a little bit about how you get into people's unconscious minds? Because I know in your class, you talk a lot about it's from my perspective, it's a lot of masterful languaging. It's um, using symbolism. It's using just how the unconscious mind communicates, not through words per se, but just metaphors, symbolism, analogies, all those things. Um, Can you share a little bit more of like how exactly, because I know a lot of people are going to ask, like, how exactly do you get into people's unconscious minds? Like how is the unconscious mind communicate and how do you quote unquote fix things on an unconscious level so um you're watching um a um a a class in which people are to give speeches on nutrition and the first guy gets up and gives an an interesting kind of talk on the value of fiber the second gal gets up and she says, really, the thing people need to do in order to increase fiber is to increase fruits and vegetables and, and, and things like this. The third gal gets up and she says, hey, if you were holding a grapefruit, you know, an unpeeled grapefruit in your hand, you could feel the weight of it. And of course, if you squeeze it, it it resists the squeeze. It has some substance. But if you start to peel off that that skin, and then you finally got it, so there's not even a speck of the skin left, and you have it in your hand and squeeze it again, but gently, very gently, because you notice how much softer it is. Then as you squeeze it, but squeeze it enough to at least release one droplet of that juice, just one droplet. And that'll even increase the fragrance as you anticipate what it will be like to actually bite into it. Because you know that then that that, that tart sweetness is going to squirt into your mouth. So they were measuring salivation as people Mm -hmm. were listening to the um, speeches, and you you certainly know which speech created the most um, uh, salivation. Yeah. 
so I mean, people aren't generally coming in saying, you know, what I need is more salvation in my life. But it, <laughs> it's kind of an example of how do you do something that reaches the inside of the mind, because the salvation you then experienced happened, but not because of a decision. Mm-hmm. In hearing that story, I, uh, you know, you you swallowed a few times. I did. But not so much during the talk about the importance of fiber. Right. Yeah. Um, so you're like showing the unconscious. The unconscious mind responds to specificity mm. that creates a sensory response. So this little red-headed boy is pulling this little red wagon, but notice how his hair is a much softer red than that fire engine red of the wagon. Um, and you're likely on some level to get that picture. Um, if we talk about the sound of a train, and I bet you have been in a station and heard a train pull up, but I bet you've also been inside a train mm-hmm. and noticed how it sounds over time as you're just relaxing and almost ready to doze. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm saying things that get to the unconscious. Here's where, where people are that are stuck. People who are stuck, and by stuck, I mean, if there's a way that you believe it would be better for you to be thinking, or better for you to be um, experiencing emotions, or better for you to be experiencing the sensations in your own body, or that other behaviors would be better, and you've recognized that, and yet that hasn't taken place. And so you say, I know I would be better off if I was to no longer do this. Um, I I really need to stop doing it. Well, how long have you thought you needed to stop doing it? Um, Well, um, six months. Um, Well, that's stuck. Yeah. That's stuck. That's a lot of people's states. Yeah, I would say a lot of people bordering on everyone. Oh um, yeah, has a, has some kind of some kind of stuckness, and um, and and one of the stuck and uh, but but I've begun to kind of take a look at what are some of the things that I can hear that let me know somebody is stuck. Uh, let me tell you a few of them. One is. People who are stuck are much more likely, Catherine, to tell you about what she doesn't want. Mm-hmm. So she'll say, you'll say, what is it that, that, that would make things better for you? And she'll say, if I wasn't so lonely. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, what else might you like to not be fearful? Um, anything else? Yeah, not to just wake up in the morning, but you know, stay in bed. You know, I always just stay in bed. Um, So these people may be frequently describing to themselves something that's been problematic, but they're telling themselves 
what to not do. Yeah. So play with this for me for a moment. Okay. Wouldn't you think, Catherine, that if you have been successful your entire life in doing something, that you would be able to do it for an additional 10 seconds. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to prove you wrong, but I don't okay. want to take advantage of you. You're such a kind person. So <laughs> let's just make it four seconds. Okay, I can do that. Instead of the whole 10. Mm-hmm. As, you know, you might not want to put that much effort into it. four seconds. All I need you to do for four seconds that you've been doing successfully up till now is simply... Uh, to not think about a red-tailed mermaid grabbing a trapeze. (laughs) That's impossible. Yes, Um, because your unconscious didn't hear one of the words Mm -hmm. and did exactly what it heard me say. Right. Yeah. It didn't hear that word. So your lovely and cooperative unconscious said, Catherine, do me a favor, think of a red-tailed mermaid on a trapeze and unconscious says, okay. <laughs> um, that's a really simple one, but um, it doesn't hear the don't. And if you listen to people who are stuck, you'll find that they have been telling themselves what to not do, what to not feel, what to not think yeah. unsuccessfully for a long period of time. That's one reason why. Here's another stuckness. Um, I, 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 I get so uptight when somebody um, interrupts me that I, I'm just warning you because I know it doesn't make sense. But if while I'm talking, you interrupt, I, I'm, I'm just going to get so mad. I mean, I'm going to hurt you if I can. Um, the I mean, I know it's I know it's stupid. I know it's stupid. But um so in that little story, is that person telling you about his past? Is he telling you about what's going on right now? Or is he telling you about the future? Mm-hmm. And the answer is he's telling you, how could he be telling you about the future? Hey, you want to know what I had for lunch next Thursday? (laughs) It can't be telling you about the future. I was really surprised tomorrow. You know what I saw? (laughs) You you can't do that. So he's telling you about his past in future tense. Mm -hmm. I hear it all the time and much more often than not. Mm -hmm. So one of the things folks can do is is i don't want you to be paying attention to your own language and 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 listening to yourself and trying to check the tenses of your words that's kind of crazy making on the other hand i would suggest be interested in listening to other people and if they seem stuck are they talking about the stuckness in future tense or past tense, or often you're going to hear it as if it's happening all the time. Um, 
I, I always feel shy. So when when is this happening? Always in the past, always in the future, and right now. Yeah. So we call that stuckness the invisible present. People are describing the problem that was going on as if it's going on in the future. Another one is people begin to think about where they've been stuck as if it's something about themselves. So I meet with you and I say, I'd like to be uh, able to um, get things going in a way that will be um, uh, good for me and good for my family. But I'm just not that kind of person. Um, I don't have this. I don't have motivation, or I don't have this, or I lack this. Um, so if somebody's stuck, they're stuck because of what they were feeling emotionally, a sensation, thoughts, or behavior. So if I say, so this thing that you've done, you recognize hasn't worked out for you, this behavior, or this thought, or this emotion, or this sensation. Um, but if instead of thinking of it as something you've done, you begin thinking of it as who you are. So you're nodding as I'm talking to you when I make sense. Mm -hmm. Let's say that um, we're going to travel together to this island. It's gorgeous, but they speak a different language. Mm -hmm. And when people nod the way you do, they think that you're uh, that that that's a way of insulting their parents i would die on that island so uh, well i don't think so <laughs> because nodding when you agree with someone isn't something about you mm. now now it's interesting because i'm saying that and, and you've started monitoring your head uh now i don't <laughs> I, I kind of agree with what he's saying, but I, I don't <laughs> I want to be still. nodding while I'm, while I'm agreeing with it, because I don't want him to think that I disrespect his mother. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but if you think that's you, mm -hmm. Catherine, I'd love to take you on that trip, but you know how you are. Yeah. You're a nodder. Yeah, I am. And that's you. Yep. Um, well, That's all I am, just a nodder. Yeah. And and so that's a stockness if you think what you've been doing is who you are. Mm -hmm. And if you really want to get somebody stuck so that it's really, really stuck, then have them see an authority figure who will tell them scientifically, this is actually you. Mm -hmm. You are a nodder. And you're also obsessive. And you're a borderline. And you're uh, a, a narcissist, and you are this, and you are this, and you are this. And if so, that's another stuckness. If people think that's who they are, what can they do other than look to accommodate it 
or maybe look to understand it so they don't feel as as as, as awful about it. Mm-hmm. And, and I don't think that nodding is who you are. And I'm sure that if we were going to go on that trip, you and I could do something which would cause you, when you're in agreement, to do what um, what they think means agreement, which is clapping. <laughs> <laughs> so that would mean every time I say anything you agree with, you're no longer not, but you automatically start applauding. I, I might... <laughs> You know, that would have got to be enjoyable, but we can't do it if you're a nodder. Right. (laughs) We can only do it if you're a woman who has been doing a lot of nodding. Right. I see what you're saying. Yeah. That's like another, um, another stuckness. Um, So, um, I mean, one of the things people listening can do now to make a difference is is first narrow, narrow, narrow what you're um, looking to make a difference in. So if it's, I always do this, and I always do that, and I never do this, make it as um, as narrow as possible. Then look back for a moment and say, yeah, this is how I have been feeling. Mm-hmm. And this is where I am. And then consider what you intend. So I have been nodding when people say something that I agree with. Here I am. I am thinking about this gal. Well, what does she look like? If you're thinking about her, bring it in. Use your senses. Okay, she's a a blonde gal, um, and she has freckles. Most blonde gals don't, but she does. I wonder if that's natural hair color. And she's telling me these things um, um, that I agree with. Um, um, it, you can have a better life making people feel good than making people feel bad. And as she's saying that, I'm just see yourself um, just listening and letting her know you agree. (laughs) So Um, just just conceive of it. Yeah. That is not going to immediately shift it. But you're a whole lot closer to it. Right. Than you were when you were thinking you were a nodder. Right. (laughs) You mentioned the word intent, intend, and RRT yes. is uh, all about intention. Um, you have like the general, in class, you talk about the generalized intention and the specific intention. You stayed awake during my class. I totally did. I did, I <laughs> did my best not to take notes because you should even, you should mention the notes thing too for people. I feel like that would be something, especially since, you know, I'm someone who, has courses and I'm sure people frantically take notes when I talk and you have this very interesting perspective of like 
why you should not take notes when you're in class, which goes so against. And I feel like everything you talk about, John, goes against mainstream. That's why I'm obsessed. Like I'm obsessed with going against mainstream. So I'm obsessed with everything that you teach and what you say and how you do things because it just it it keeps me so like alert because it's so new to me and it it I'm just like constantly hungry for more. So I'm, I can't consume your membership portal fast enough. I'm like going through as many videos as possible because it's just it's so fascinating. But um can you can you share the notes thing? Well, yeah. Um so when I first learned to stand up in front of a group of professionals and talk about something I thought would be valuable for them. I noticed that as I would say things, they would take out notepads and begin writing. Mm -hmm. And it was so lovely for my (laughs) self-esteem was like on a rocket ship. And, and and so I played with it and I would do things like um, sometimes I I would just stop and lots of the people stopped writing if I just was silent. And then sometimes I would start to talk about something really complicated, but decide to say it as fast as I could. <laughs> and then I'd watch people trying to like write faster and this was so lovely for me. I mean, <laughs> I must be a cool guy. I talk and all these doctors sit there writing down what I said. And, and I thought that was great. Um, until um, one day I, I lost my phone. And I, I, I went and bought one of those throwaway phones. Burner. Uh, yeah, yeah, burner. And I thought, <laughs> Well, I, I, I'm going to call my mom and tell her about my trauma, you know, of losing <laughs> my phone. And then I thought, I don't, I don't know my mom's number. That's Uh-oh. stupid. I better call my best friend and tell her that I don't even know my mother's phone number. And I thought, I don't know her number either. And I realized that my mind was smart enough to know that if it was written down, I didn't have to know it. Mm-hmm. That was mind-blowing the first time I heard that. Because it's so true. And then after I realized that, and I realized all of the things that I didn't know because I wrote them down, and like all the courses I took, I, I have a, a, a draw in my office very well organized and it's called the smart draw and inside it are all these spiral notebooks because every class i bought a new one a different color and 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 i would write really neat notes and stuff and at the end of the class i put it in the smart draw and then a new class i put something else in a smart draw but when i discovered that that writing all this stuff down didn't actually get it into my head I realized that draw was a whole lot smarter than me. <laughs> um, so I, I, I decided this, this whole thing of having everybody write when I talk is no longer boosting my self-esteem very well because I recognize all the people that are writing about what I'm saying are really less likely 
to know it. Yeah. Does that, does that mean that the unconscious mind has um, unlimited storage capacity? I don't know. Okay. I, I love that you say that. I love that. I love that so much in your class. You're like, I don't know everything. This is not the truth. This is a way of thinking. Can you go a little bit that, into that? Oh, yeah. I would definitely like to go over that with you. So I really, I begin my classes by saying to people, I mean, it's, it's often the first words out of my mouth is to say, I won't be telling you the truth. Mm-hmm. Um, and 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 the reason is not because I know it and want to withhold it from you, but it's simply that I don't know what it is. And the reason I don't know what's true is because there are really smart people that seem to disagree on it. Mm-hmm. All the time. And if people who who study this thing all the time disagree about it, they're smarter than I am, and particularly around that, because that's their scope. That's what they pay attention to. And one is saying it's like this, and the other is saying it's like that. How Who am I to say, well, this is the actual truth? So I would tell you, and I tell my classes, the only thing I really believe is true is that if I tell you, this is what I think, that that's true. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's true that I think it, but it isn't true that that makes it true. Um, yeah. And when people are given that way of learning something, they learn it so much faster. Because if I tell you, you know, Catherine, there there are things you've been thinking for a long time. They're wrong, by the way. <laughs> Let me tell you how to think correctly. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't cause you to to get real open. No, it immediately causes a shutdown. This is the opposite. But if I say to you, hey, um, I know that you know how to play chess, but I invented a different game and it uses a chessboard and chess pieces. Let me tell you in my game how you move the king. Mm. You'll, and, and then I say, so the king goes in a big circle and this piece goes in a smaller circle and you're going okay let me let me think of it this way uh-huh you're willing to do that mm-hmm. if i say to you everything you know about chess is wrong the actual way you're supposed to play is this you're not willing to do that yeah so and we uncon- do a lot of sharing a way of thinking rather than a truth and that makes sense because unconscious transformation, if there's a wall to the unconscious mind, you're not getting in. And if you cause disagreement within people's belief systems that already exist, nothing new is going to get through. But if you just say, this is just a way of thinking, it's almost like taking a hat and just trying it on for size. You're just Try like wearing, yeah, you're just wearing a cap for like a day, two days, three days, whatever, just five minutes in a session with you or with, you know, someone else who's RIT certified. I think that's so, so impactful and goes in alignment with what I also know about the unconscious mind up until this point. And I love RRT. I talked to Andrea Crowder, who's my coach, and you know I'm certified in so many different modalities. And I asked her and I'm like, how do you deal with, you know, what if what you're learning in RRT 
goes against all these other modalities. How do you kind of probably does. It totally does. And like, how do you (laughs) cope with that? How do you know which one to use? How do you know which one to trust? Blah, 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 blah. And she was like the one that's the most effective. And I was like, whoa, boom. Because for me, RRT has been the most effective modality that I've ever tried. Oh, that's so kind. Thank you. It's, it's, it's been magical. Um, I want to really want to end people's suffering. Yeah. And I passionately want to end people's suffering. Catherine, I began in this career uh, uh, a long time ago when nobody even had a thought about Catherine existing. (laughs) Um, And, and, and my first job was, um, was being a child protective service worker. I was being called in when there were allegations of abuse or neglect with um, with little children, and I, I was, I was just like, oh my goodness, so much suffering. Yeah. So so much suffering. Um, by the way, there in the beginning, if I saw a little child in danger. I didn't try to shift the child's perspective on it so that they might have different thoughts of it. Right. So I knew my job is to cause his environment to change or get him out of it to another environment. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and, and now the difference is that the way most people think most of the time is what's going on emotionally can be explained by what's going on environmentally. Mm-hmm. So why is that guy so angry? Well, that other guy just shoved him. Or why is this gal so nervous on her first date with this fella? He seems so kind. Well, six months ago, she was out on her first date and a guy beat her up. So we understand emotion generally. It's something that is something, is happening, has happened, or is anticipated to happen. Mm Mm-hmm. If and that's that's a good way for me to view it when I was a child protective worker, because then I better do something about what's going to happen. Yeah. But then, as I begin meeting with grownups, I I can't do the same thing. If 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 this gal is telling me that her boyfriend is mistreating her, I can't just pull up to the house and. <laughs> And tell him to cut it out. And if he doesn't, I'm taking her. That's so true. That's what I used yeah. to do. But I, I, I can't I can't do that. So it's better for me to get it that if I think that what you're feeling has to do with the way your mind is processing information outside of conscious awareness, and then that I know how to shift that, then and that it's my job to shift it then I can get a whole lot done. Mm-hmm. I've learned how to shift what's going on unconsciously as mind processes information 
in order to change the way people automatically experience emotions, thoughts, behavior, um, and and that it's my job then to to do that, not my job to tell you it's your job. Wow, okay. that that that's such a big deal for me, Catherine. It's not my job to tell you it's your job to fix yourself, but mm-hmm. you do need to come to me. It's going to take quite a while and be expensive but (laughs) it's good for you to come and see me so that i can tell you it's your job to fix yourself um it's just i i don't know i i i decided to try a new barber and um i uh, i I go to this older guy it's so predictable and you know i i mean i do it but it's not exciting Three days, I'm going to get to go for another haircut. <laughs> it's not exciting. So I decided I'm going to go across the street. And and I went, and this place was so much nicer. This beautiful young lady came over to me with a big smile. And she said, I'm going to be working with you on your hair today. And I said, well, I'm all open to that. And she said, yes, we love having you here. And I said, thank you so much. And, and she said, how do you like your hair? How hasn't it worked for you previously? And, I, I, and she really listened. So I was ready. And, and, and she was gorgeous. And finally, she came over um, and she handed me about the fanciest pair of scissors I, I, I'd ever seen. They were glittering and large. And I had them. And then she came over and she had one of these large hand mirrors. <laughs> and, and she just smiled. And I said, so what, what do we do next? And she said, well, honey, now it's time, you know, for you to cut your hair. <laughs> I said, I'll be doing this. And she said, of course, sweetheart, it is something you need to learn to do for yourself. And I said, and my new and beautiful friend, what will you be doing? (laughs) And she said, I'm going to hold the mirror just the way you want me to. And I said, oh, my goodness, this is heartbreaking. You're so lovely. And this is such a pretty place. But I ran across the street. Back to your barber. Do me. So oh I don't my want, God. I don't want to go to barbers where they hand me scissors and tell me they're going to hold the mirror. Yeah. Um, and prolong I the process. Where somebody can jump in and actually fix it. Yeah. Um, big difference. It's a, it's a whole big different. John, you talked are. about, you talked about, um, you know, how you want to end suffering and there's a big buzzword in the personal development community now, not that it has never existed, but now it's really talked about, which is all about trauma, right? What is your perspective of trauma? I know you have a different viewpoint of trauma and I'd love to go into that. I have spent, that was my initial interest because I mean, my first job is working with, with children who were getting, you know, tortured. Sometimes, and then after that, I worked with 
runaway throwaway teenagers and when you, when i found out that they ran away as much as you don't want a 13 year old running away most of these kids that i found ran away running away was like one of the healthiest things they ever did when you found out what they'd run from yeah so i was immersed in really big capital t trauma in the very beginning of my career and for years and years and years of it um and 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 then i realized you know that that how how am i supposed to treat this well i should know i went through a whole psychotherapy program and i didn't have any idea i called my friend and i said this is embarrassing but i think i fell asleep when they were teaching us how to do the trauma treatment mm. and he said john i don't think you fell asleep they never taught us and i said oh my goodness then what 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 should i do why didn't they teach me it's <laughs> a good says, question well, you're not supposed to teach you how to do it when you go to graduate school you have to go to postdoctoral programs to learn that so i did and what i learned there was if something is very disturbing then at the moment it's going on it's not a good idea to be experiencing and expressing emotions if you're getting mugged, if you're getting beaten, if you're getting raped, um, the, the, the priority is being alive at the end of it, not feeling and expressing your feelings. And so I learned in this um, program, so people haven't expressed their feelings and the feelings therefore are stuck inside them. And your job is to get the feelings out of them. So how do, I, how do I get feelings out of people? Well, you get them to really talk about and deeply experience the worst moments of their lives so that they begin to feel really upset. Yeah. And then you want to encourage them to really feel it at its most intense. Yeah. And then to, to just express it. What do you mean? Well, you know, like sob. Mm -hmm. So I've got to go meet this gal who's been raped, and I'm going to try to get her to feel like she's being raped so that she will feel awful, and then she's going to start sobbing. And my teacher said, exactly. There you go. Um, I said, this is the most miserable job. I, I've ever heard of, but it's the most important job. So I'm going to do this. And I did that to people. I mean, I did that to people. I caused them to re-experience the worst moments of their lives. And they didn't just stop. We, we had buckets so they could vomit. I oh, mean, my God. It was awful. Um, but as horrible as it was for me, I was willing to do it if that was how to help people. Mm -hmm. I stopped when I realized these people aren't getting better. So, I mean, it takes a long time. It's terribly painful. It's very expensive. Let's do it anyway. But then there was a deal breaker. And it also doesn't work. Mm -hmm. It's like, whoa, we're going to dump all of that. And I figured I'm dumping everything I learned and redoing it. Here's the RRT view of trauma. If something bad happened, and it has to just about everyone, if something bad happened, it can feel like it's inside you. 
but it's not inside you. It never got into you. It got, there's data that came in through your senses. Mm -hmm. And our human minds store the data. Our human minds even create additional data, store data. And when something is very disturbing, the data about that event expands and that screws up the storage process. So things happen like this, Catherine. Um, you're with your friend and you know that seven years ago, she saw her friend die in a battle blown up with a grenade. Mm -hmm. But you're in her lovely suburban home and um, and and you're both having a nice conversation when somebody lights a firecracker right next to the window that she's sitting by. Next thing you see her under the couch. Yeah. And she comes out and she says, oh, Catherine, I'm, I'm, I'm so sorry, but you know what happened to me when I heard that? Well, she didn't become firecracker phobic. What happened was this had some similarity to this. Not much. Firecracker isn't very similar to a hand grenade, but it had enough that it caused the data about the grenade to vibrate and be experiencing, experienced as if it was taking place right then. Mm -hmm. So much so that she no longer saw you mm -hmm. and is under the couch. One more example. You have a friend named Larry. He's so kind and gentle. You just love Larry. You bring him over to meet your friend Mary. She is hostile, distant, guarded, rude. He quickly leaves. You say, Mary, why did you treat Larry like that? And she says, he's evil. <laughs> you say, my goodness, I never left you alone with him for a second. And he was as kind as could be in spite of you were such a bitch. And she says, but I know he's evil. And what she doesn't know is that Jeffrey, who used to torture the hell out of her in fifth grade and who she hasn't thought of for 20 years, had a structural speech pattern similar to this guy. Mm -hmm. And so this caused... This thing from him caused the stored data to vibrate as if it was happening. And so she's being influenced by it without even knowing it. And that happens to people all the time. So if this is going on, if there are those kind of traumas actively screwing up somebody's life, we have a, a, a word that we use in the RRT world to describe that. It's called normal. <laughs> um, but it's certainly not called wonderful. Mm -hmm. So what we've learned, what, what I learned, and now I've been teaching people, is how you can pinpoint and clear the troubling influence that a prior experience is having, even if it isn't conscious, mm -hmm. so that it's no longer in the way so that then the change, the shift that is desired happens automatically. Mm -hmm. We can cause it to be that she can describe 
the entirety of this experience that was um, uh, shocking, disturbing, and overwhelming without any kind of negative feeling at all, and can recall it without those emotions. And that is something that people who have trained with me to an advanced level and really got it down are are able to um, uh, get done for people that that shift things. So uh, one of the, by the way, things that is sort of universal and being traumatic for people is um, the passing of a of, of a loved person. Yeah. Or, or, or the other day I, I was addressing with a gal um, her ongoing grief for a pet. Mm-hmm. Uh, and um, the way we address grief, it seems to me culturally, is encourage it and, 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 and feel that if somebody is, is stuck in grief, it's because they didn't really get it out. And so the solution to grief has become grieving. Mm-hmm. Um, and and if you look in in uh, in the library here on Amazon for what books are available, most all of them are saying it's really okay to not be all right. It's it's okay to feel really badly um, if you have had a major loss mm-hmm, right and, and and i i thought well it ain't okay with me <laughs> it is not I, I it is just like not okay with me and if you had a major loss is it okay with me that you would be miserable no it's not okay with me that you would be miserable you're my friend i don't want you miserable Right. What the heck happened? Because like the pain of the loss is enough. It doesn't have to be prolonged for the rest of your life. I think we can cause it to be um, quickly shifted, even in cases where the grief is called pathological, meaning it's been going on for more than a year. It's one of the characteristics. Um, So anyway, I wrote another book. And the yes, book you did. It's called Grief is Not Sacred. And it's giving this perspective on how to um uh clear that issue. It's um it's it's um and it's available right now. It's called Grief is Not Sacred, and it's on uh Amazon, and you can have it probably tomorrow or the next day. Yeah, um, we're gonna link all the amazing links you have not only grief is not sacred that's your newest book you also have i believe it's called life-changing conversations i've been reading that that one yeah that book is about how you can change somebody's life with a single conversation during a single meeting powerful Um, stuff really powerful stuff but this one is all about particularly around that issue of grief Grief. so prominent yeah um, currently there are things that can be done um, that can cause that pain to be 
go on. I, I somebody just came to mind from years ago. I could just share it briefly with you. Mm-hmm. I haven't even thought of it. I just noticed I goosebumps just having it come to mind. A lovely guy came to me. Um, I thought he was lovely. Nobody else was thinking he was lovely at that point. Um, but it was like uh, six, eight months earlier, his um, love of his life, his little nine-year-old daughter was out roller skating on the sidewalk in front of his home and a car driven by a teenage gal who was uh, way uh, drugged up, got onto there and and killed her. The guy was devastated. Um, his, um, you, you know, he, his first move was to go to church because he was a very active church member. Mm-hmm. Um, and 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 he said to, to, to you know, I, to, this is horrible. And and people said, well. God had a, a reason to take her. And and he said, well, then fuck him. Yeah. And they said, well, you can't hang out with us if you're going to say things like that about God. So that whole community, it was his whole social life, all of a sudden wasn't there. His relationship with his wife deteriorated. Um, and he just was miserable 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 for a long time till we um got together and we had to dive really deep with this one and his experience of connection and ongoing love for his daughter was uh, uh able to um reemerge um this thing was so awful that um, the parents would go to these high school assemblies and get Mm -hmm. all the kids from the classrooms into a big meeting room where where he and his wife would be on the stage talking about their devastation to get Mm -hmm. the kids not to drink. Yeah. And they would bring the, the, the girl who did it onto the stage in shackles and and she would talk about you know how awful it is for her being in prison and living with that guilt and what have you um but even though she was doing that the thing that he and his wife would do together regularly is go to all parole hearings to make sure she wouldn't be released and we got to do this work together and and i remember i hadn't seen him for about a year and he called me and and he was in tears um but but they sounded joyful and he said john i i did it i finally did it this is a big one for me and i said what what did you do and he said i got her out I said, you got who out? He said, I got them to release her. And he, after we met, put tremendous effort into getting the um, girl who had killed his daughter 
out of prison so she could go back. So, wow. And it, it's, uh, you, you notice I'm not usually at a loss for words, but I start to get emotional just thinking That's about That's such a profound shift. About that one. Um, but now, you know, he went from, he went from, I guess to be dramatic, a heart that was super filled with hatred mm-hmm. that was causing disruption in all relationships to um, a heart that was really filled with love. And and he feels his daughter with him as he now meets with people who have been grieving in order to uh, alleviate their grief. Mm-hmm. So he's gone on to to be a um, a, a healer, right? That's amazing. I remember to mention that when I just wrote this book that came out. <laughs> John, uh, I could literally talk to you for hours and hours. I feel like we need to do a part two. But you still... have a life, Catherine. You can't spend it all talking to me. <laughs> <laughs> I could literally. Oh, my gosh. There's like so much more that I want to dive into. So if you're down ever to do a part two with me for the podcast, that would be amazing. I I, I would be delighted to continue this conversation and to and to take a much deeper dive into things that we started you know the the, the time went so um so fast so fast way too fast could i mention quickly that every monday night at 7 p.m eastern time i do an open group that's free for anybody uh it's called solutions if you go to my website, rapidresolutiontherapy.com, you can register, no charge. And what happens is people just raise their hands and 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 get a new perspective on issues that they've been stuck with. Um, and we have people from all over the world showing up. And I'd love to have your listeners um, join us. It's a way to get to stick your toe in the waiting pool. Of yes. Solution therapy. You you pulled out my last question too, because I was going to ask you, where can people find you, work with you? You know, you've mentioned your book. So I'm going to post all the links in the show notes for you guys that you guys can get all those links. Um, and then I don't know, maybe next podcast episode, we can also dive into an issue or something that I can bring to you that people can witness like a live, a live RRT. I don't know. I have some ideas. I feel oh, like we can. Well, I'm sure you do. <laughs> we'll talk about it. We'll talk about it later. With that being said, you guys, Dr. John Connolly, thank you so much for coming on here. This has been such a joy, such a pleasure. You've been blowing my mind. I've been. I've actually. I, I broke. I broke your rule. I did take some notes, but it's only to <laughs> only to keep me remembering certain words that I wanted to bring up with you. You mean Catherine isn't a good rule follower? <laughs> I might How not shocking. be. Shocking, shocking. Oh my gosh, you guys go to solutions. Um, if you feel called to do a one-on-one with John, he's ugh, incredible, amazing. I, like I said, my whole family, um, and by whole family, I mean me, my mom, and my husband so far have seen you. I have my exec team seeing you. It's just it's been such a it's been such a world of difference. And the fact that like you don't have to go into your trauma like you don't have to revisit your trauma in order to experience the shifts of releasing that trauma for people i think is such a game changer and is different from how other modalities approach that so 
again, we can go into so many more topics. So with that being said, I'm going to leave us here. I will catch you guys in the next episode. Bye. Thank you so much for tuning into today's episode. If you absolutely loved what you heard today, be sure to share it with me by leaving a review on iTunes so that I can keep the good stuff coming your way. If you aren't already following me on social media, come soak up the extra inspiration on Instagram by following at Manifestation Babe or visiting my website at manifestationbabe.com. I love and adore you so much and can't wait to connect with you in the next episode. In the meantime, go out there and manifest some magic.